The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire who equip yourselves with burning torches. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you may have from, the hand, from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Thank you, Nikki. Well, we're continuing in this series in Isaiah, and this is one of the servant songs. Um, this book, this book, it's, uh, it's, it's got an otherworldly quality to it that has been, for me, as I spend time during the week working with the passages and, and writing sermons, um, it's, it's a pretty strange experience for me. I love the book of Isaiah for that reason, that, it just, that it's, it's, it's like we're kind of eavesdropping on a conversation that the Lord is having, that the God the Father is having with God the Son about how the brokenness and the, and the catastrophe of our condition is being addressed. And, uh, and that's what these serv- servant songs are. So I'll throw out a couple of names. Boo Radley. You know Boo Radley? You probably met Boo Radley when you were in seventh grade around there. Severus Snape. We familiar with, we're all cool with Harry Potter? No. <laughs> Oslin, for good measure, and the horse and his boy in particular. What do these characters have in common? Boo Radley, Severus Snape, Oslin, and the horse and his boy. Anybody know? They're, they're, they're characters who are secretly acting on the behalf of somebody who needs rescue. And the person who is in need of rescue is unaware. I love stories like that. I love stories like that, and there's a lot more. I, those were the ones I could come up with. I've, if you follow me on social media, I put a shout-out this week to like, hey, anybody got those stories? That, and some people gave me like these deep cuts in classic literature, and I'm like, uh, it's going to take too much explaining, <laughs> and I'm going to have to do too much reading. Um, but you know these characters? They're characters that are, that are, that are working behind the scenes, and, and usually... They, they live and they move in mysterious ways, 
right? They're not always understood. In fact, they're often misunderstood. They're sometimes mistaken for enemies or at the very least, sources of opposition. Sometimes what they do seems to be against the person they're protecting. Often they suffer and they don't defend themselves. I love stories like these. I love stories like these because there comes a moment in them where a light goes on and the person who is in danger is realizing that they've been watched over and protected this whole time by this unexpected guardian. And one of the most moving aspects of a story like that for me is that there, 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 there comes a point when we discover the depth of what was going on. Where you discover the depth of how intimately involved and familiar and equipped these protectors actually were to step in and save the one who was in peril. They knew the danger the whole time. Today's text is, is like one of those stories. Something is happening behind the scenes. We're reading about it here. There's a rescue that is underway. And we're the ones being rescued. We're the ones. We're the ones being rescued. And we wouldn't know it, except that here we're given a glimpse into what's happening behind the scenes. And it comes to us in the form of this passage, which, which you could describe as a... As a um, the literary device of a soliloquy. Have you ever heard of a soliloquy? A soliloquy is a speech made to oneself aloud for the benefit of those who are listening on. Right? It's it's a uh, it's a speech that some it's it's you know it's monologuing. Right? It's a speech made to oneself for the benefit of those who overhear. And what this soliloquy is giving us is it's giving us a glimpse into Jesus' communion with the Father when it comes to the story of our rescue. And so one of the literary functions of soliloquy is to give the reader access. We get access to something that would be otherwise private, we gain insight that we wouldn't have otherwise unless we were able to eavesdrop. And so this soliloquy is between Christ and the Father, and it's Jesus understanding and obeying the Father's will. And we saw that in the passage. I'm inclining my ear to you morning by morning. I'm seeking. I'm hungry to be taught. I'm wanting to listen, and I'm wanting to obey your will. And that's all well and good. And we say, okay, lesson learned. The Christian in following Jesus should be people who want to understand the will of God, learn the will of God, and then obey the will of God. That's enough of an application for us this morning to have you know, made good use of this time. But we need to get specific with what's happening here because he's not just talking in general about listening generally to God's will about kind of this and that. It's specific there's a specific thing that's happening here. When we go a level deeper and examine what the obedience is about itself, we discover that this is Jesus talking about learning the will of the Father in terms of redeeming us. 
And it's, it's, there's mystery, right, in understanding, like, well, what does it mean that Jesus learned something from God? I thought he was God. They're three in one. Doesn't Jesus know everything? Let's set all that aside and put it in the, in the, in the jar of mystery, right? That's a, part of, that's a part of the triune Godhead. But let's look at what's being said here because what we discover is that this conversation that's happening between the Father and the Son is a conversation about saving us. And how that's going to go down. It's a conversation about Jesus acting on our behalf to redeem us and restore us to the Father. And to do it by way of suffering. And so in this conversation that we're overhearing, this soliloquy really. We're learning that a rescue is being staged. And it's our rescue. And the question we have to ask is do we know that we need saving? And that's a question that's worth asking, and I want to put it to you. Do you need a Savior? Do you know you need a Savior? I have a friend uh, who's... Um, uh, I listened to a podcast interview this week with this particular, friend, who, this particular friend of mine was on, and he was talking about his own conversion experience. And somebody had reached out to him and was sharing the gospel with him and asked him the question, do you need a Savior? And he said it was the question that just cut through everything. And I said, yes. (laughs) When I look at my own life, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Do you you need saving from yourself? Because a rescue is being staged for your salvation. That's what we're learning about here. I want to give you this sermon in one sentence. uh, Really what this all kind of boils down to and then give an overview and we'll unpack it. Um, quickly, but, but the sermon in one sentence followed by one question is this. The, ser- the sentence is this. This sermon is about this. Jesus was injured and rejected before God so that we might be healed and accepted by God. Jesus was injured and rejected before God so that we might be healed and accepted by God. The question is, do you believe this? I know that in this room I'm talking to many people who have walked with the Lord for a long time. And we are treading very familiar territory. But just think about that for a second. The God of all creation who made you, made you in his image, by the way. And then, and then you've lived, and I've lived, a, a relationship where we've rebelled against him and we've broken faith with him, that he has intervened in time and space to restore us to himself through nothing less than the life and the death and the resurrection of his son. That's the story of our, of our faith. May that never grow stale. May it never grow old for us. So to break down the text, we're going to look at it in basically two halves. The first half, we're going to look at the suffering servant's response to God the Father. So Jesus' response to God, focusing specifically on his communion with God and his confidence in God's goodness. I'm giving you a good old-fashioned sermon outline right now. And then the second half, we're going to look at our response to the suffering servant. So first half, suffering servant's response to God. Second half, our response to the suffering servant, focusing on our communion with him and our confidence in his goodness to us. Got it? So we're going to model with Jesus what we see Jesus doing with the Father. So the intimate communion that the suffering servant has with God. Let's start there. And let's frame this passage. You remember back in Isaiah 9 where you have that passage that describes 
the suffering servant as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You hear it every Christmas. This wonderful counselor term is something we could just blow by, but it carries a lot of import. What it means is he will always advise us perfectly. He will always give us wisdom. He will, his, his counsel to us will never be faulty. And this passage that we just read illuminates why that's the case. Why is that the case? Because the servant studies and he knows the word and the will of God. He wants to. He studies and he knows the word and the will of God because he, 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 he's hungry for it. He's thirsty for it. He not only wants to hear the word of God, but he wants to carry out the will of God. He's a perennial student. He, this is the picture of a perfect disciple that he's never done, right? He's never done engaging and interacting with the word and the will of God. He's hungry to listen, our passage says. Morning by morning, God opens his ears. He desires to hear. If you're a parent, one of the best things you can do for your children to raise them to know and to love the Lord is to read scripture. <laughs> if you want to add a, a layer of special sauce on that, read scripture in a, in a place where they see you do it. You don't even have to tell them what you're reading. I, my, my mom, I, I grew up watching my mom read scripture. She didn't always tell me, which sometimes she did, but she didn't always tell me what she was reading. But I will tell you this, as a 46-year-old man, my heart was shaped by being witness to her sitting in a chair with a Bible open in her lap and a cup of coffee on a table when I got up in the morning. Seeing that was instructional for my heart. God's always doing immeasurably more than we ask or think. So Jesus is this picture of a perfect disciple. He's hungry to listen. Our passage says morning by morning, he's opening his ear. He desires to hear. And then we read about God's own people and what they've done. And what they've done is actually the opposite of that. They've just failed to listen. They've lost interest. And instead, they have lived in rebellion, active rebellion against God. But not the suffering servant. He listens. He studies God's will. And what is God's will in this passage? It's to redeem and rescue God's people. And so this plan is being hatched. And Jesus is planning our rescue. How will God do this? He will do it by giving his people a redeemer. And the suffering servant will be that redeemer. And he will absorb God's wrath toward sin on behalf of others. Though he himself is innocent. He will be vindicated. He will be proved just and right. And what's the servant's response to this? His response to this is that he is willing to carry out God's will, though it means he will suffer unjust humiliation and pain. He's willing. Jesus was injured and rejected before God so that we might be healed and accepted by God. Look at his communion with the Father here. There's, there's nothing he won't endure. Nothing he won't endure. He'll face and absorb abuse through an unjust trial. This passage is alluding specifically to Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate where he would be mocked, 
spit upon, his beard will be plucked out. His obedience is going to cost him something. Why would he go through all of this if it led to such suffering? Why would he do this? It's because he was a student of God's will. And God's will here is that the suffering servant would in fact be our Savior. This is the word Jesus obeys. The word to save us. And so he sets his face like a flint in the direction of God's will. And that language is echoed then again in the Gospels where Jesus sets his face like a flint toward where? Toward Jerusalem. Why is he setting his face like a flint toward Jerusalem? Because the cross awaits. And when the time comes for that to happen, he sets his face like a flint and nothing stops him. And he goes. This is the suffering servant's response to God's will. He walked into the plan and purpose of God willingly. What would bolster this kind of confidence? Why would he do this? We learn from the passage that he does this because of his confidence in God's goodness. His confidence in God being just. He's certain of it. The suffering servant's confidence is in God's ultimate justice and vindication. It's confidence that in the end, justice will prevail. And that kind of confidence often looks like delayed gratification. Sandra McCracken, who's here, she, she has a song uh, that has a, such a profound, profound and simple line. And the line is this, this is not okay, so I know this is not the end. And I love that line because what it means is I can be in the midst of something that's not okay. And I cannot necessarily see what the end is going to be. But by right of knowing that this is not okay means that in a world where God is just and holy and all-powerful and all-loving means if, this is, if what's happening right now is not okay, I know that it's not the end. It can't be the end. Because God works all things together for good, for the good of those who love him, for the glory of his name. It can be so hard for us to accept delayed gratification. We live in a world that says, you're living wrong if you're delaying gratification. But the servant knows. He knows that he will not ultimately be put to shame, verse 7 tells us. The one who vindicates him is near. The suffering servant knows that he won't suffer because he's guilty, but he suffers because others are, and he's standing in for them. But also notice, he's fully engaged in this. He's, he's not just accidentally going through the motions. He is engaged, he's locked in, he knows what's happening, he's present, and he understands it. That's what we read in verses 8 and 9. This is what's happening behind the scenes, the soliloquy that we're listening in on, that this rescue is being hatched. And so the question is, how, do we, how then do we respond, having overheard this? What's our communion with Christ and our confidence in his goodness? What does it look like to have confidence what does it look like to have communion, I'm sorry, communion with Christ that resembles his communion with the Father? 
One of the things it looks like is it looks like a desire to obey him. Jesus said it very plainly. If you love me, you will obey my commands, right? That obedience to Christ is what communion with him looks like. Listening, a longing to desire to listen, to obey. And it's such a simple litmus test for our faith and it's worth focusing in on just to issue this challenge from scripture. And it's this. If you say that you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do you listen and do you obey? And our culture, I've been a pastor in this city for a long time. I meet with lots of people pastorally who are struggling. And when I start to root around into the details of their lives and how they're struggling, there are areas of their lives where they're living in active disobedience to Christ. And, you know, I want to, I want to push on that. And I want, to, I want to gently say, this path that you're walking is not built to lead you in a place that will be fulfilling. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to lead you, and it is leading you, down a road that's, that's complicated and, and broken. But we can be very self-righteous. We can be very, we can plant our feet and say, I'm a real Christian. And yet at the same time be people who are not engaging with the word of God and are actively rewriting some of the rules uh, to accommodate us, thinking, well, I'm, I'm a kind of an exceptional case and it's going to work out and play out differently for me. I'm looking at a counselor in the room right now who knows that's not how that goes, right? It just doesn't work that way. So what does confidence, what does communion with the Father looks like? It looks like obedience. It looks like listening. Are you a student of God's word? Are you driven to read so that you might know what his will is? Morning by morning, are you hungry for biblical truth? If not, why not? Do you long to obey the word and the will of God, even if that means denying yourself? Our culture says that if you have an appetite, you are entitled to satisfy that appetite. You should. Why? Because you have the right to be happy. You should pursue happiness. Where that all breaks down is drawing that straight line between satisfying all of my appetites inevitably will lead me to happiness. We, we, we assume things. We assume that if I have an appetite, I'll satisfy it. And in the act of doing that, that will be the thing that makes me happy. But the question is, are we good judges of what makes us happy? I have tried to make myself happy in ways in life that have miserably failed me. I have pursued things, and you have too, I'm sure, where you thought, if only I could get this person to love me, or I could achieve this goal, or I could be in this place, or I could get rid of this thing, then, 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 then I, would be, I would be at peace, I would be happy. But sometimes, and this passage tells us this, sometimes we, we satisfy our own appetites to our own destruction. Jesus said if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. That's the language. It's a, it's a, it's a path of, of shedding the, 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 the shackles of, of this world 
and following him. And so demanding our right to satisfy every appetite that comes along, what that often looks like, spiritually, it often looks like rebellion. It often looks like saying to the Lord, I know that you say this is the way walk in it, but I don't want to walk in that way. And so let's just agree to disagree, second person of the blessed trinity, who's risen from the dead. And I will go this other direction, and you will go that direction, and we'll meet up on the other side, and I'll show you that this was okay. And this passage gives us a chilling image of rebellion. I don't know if you saw it as it went past. In verse 11, it says, okay, light your own fire and walk by it. But it's going to lead you to ruin. So the image is that those who live in rebellion, they kindle their own fires to see. And then they end up burning their world to the ground. So you can light your own fire and try to walk by it. But you're going to set your world on fire trying to do it that way. You will never have enough fuel. Or when you have enough fuel, it will combust everything around you. Do you walk by the light of your own fire? Will you continue to? Even after you've listened to the liloquy of your own redemption between the Father and the Son. Because, and I love how matter-of-fact Scripture can be. This verse 11 ends with this statement. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. If you're going to walk by the light of your own fire, you're going to stay lost. It's not going to lead you home. Remember all of this is coming in the context of the Father and the Son talking about our salvation and how that's going to happen. And this leads to this confidence in the goodness of God and the goodness of Christ. Intimate communion with Christ looks like obedient, obedience to Christ. To obey the voice of the servant is to trust in his name, to rely on God. This is the response of faith. Martin Luther defined faith. He had this pithy definition of faith that I just love. He said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's goodness. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's goodness. I may not be able to see what's coming, but I am so sure that God is good and that he will always be good, and that he will never not be good, that I step forward in a daring way, in an ongoing way, a living, daring confidence in God's goodness. Communion and confidence, they go together, right? That our confidence comes from intimacy with God, that we know the one that we're depending on. The last two verses of this passage move from a soliloquy to eye contact with the hearer, right? It's the swiveling in the chair and now I'm looking at you. What sort of hearers will we be? After seeing the communion and the confidence the Savior has with the Father on our behalf, his obedience, his willingness to suffer on our behalf, his confidence in the goodness of God to heal and vindicate him, the prophet then asks, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? 
This passage is calling us to believe. It's calling us to faith. And if not to faith, to at least admit when we don't believe. What does belief look like? The passage tells us it's it's simple components, right? It looks like obedience. It looks like trusting in God. It looks like following him, relying on him. And so there's so much here that's basic gospel 101, rehearsing the story of our salvation. And yet at the same time, we're hearing it in the form of a soliloquy between the father and the son about the plan to rescue and redeem us. And the question is being put to us, what do you believe? Do you walk in darkness? Are you trying to walk by the light of your own fire? Or do you need a savior? Do you know that you need a savior? And this passage gives us an invitation, and that is to trust, to trust the savior and to follow him. Jesus was injured and rejected before God so that we might be healed and accepted by God. Do you believe this? Pray with me. Lord, there's immeasurably more happening than we see and know in your word, in your redemptive plans, in the ways that you move in our midst. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that as we contemplate this passage from Isaiah, this place where we're seeing in the context of an Old Testament prophet speaking to a people whose world is burning to the ground as exiles are coming, as, as, as destruction is befalling them, as hope is just hanging on for them. That even in that context, even in that level of brokenness and decay, you have a plan. And it's a plan that now has been finished. You've done the work. You have accomplished our salvation through faith in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us a hunger for your word and your will to know and to obey. And thank you, Lord, that we are not seeking to know you and obey you in order that you might extend salvation and redemption to us, but because you already have. And so it is the response of faith, this living, daring confidence in your goodness. And so, Lord, light that fire in us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.